Would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Chronicles chapter 9? We're coming in for a landing here on all these uh, genealogies. <clears throat> and after chapter 10, I believe, the next chapter, maybe, maybe after 11, we go back to 2 Samuel and we'll bounce back and forth between the two books to consider the reign of King David. But for now, the inheritance of all Israel. So let's look at it together. Jerusalem is the center of Israel. Keep in mind, this is a chronicler writing back across a long period of time. And he has focused on specific genealogies with regard to the nation of Israel. Most specifically, Judah, and right next to that would be Levi, the Levites, the priests, so Jerusalem is the center of Israel now, having come, <clears throat> excuse me, from Adam all the way to this point in Israel's history, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. There is a, mess there is a message here, of course, interestingly, the layout, the names of places, and certain institutions, such as the temple, are types of the real thing in God's heaven. There is a new Jerusalem, there is a heavenly Jerusalem. It, it exists right now. It's not something for the future. It exists even now. It, of course, is seen in the final two chapters of the Bible as the um, center of activity. It's where the throne of God is. And the people of God have their dwelling places, their mansions, as some people would call them, in that huge New Jerusalem. So the focus here on earth, focusing on Jerusalem teaches us earthly lessons and then we should project that forward in our minds and our thoughts about life for redeemed saints in the new Jerusalem. Here Jerusalem is depicted, of course, as the center of Israel. Let's begin to look at it. And all Israel traced their genealogy. And behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel. But the Judeans were exiled to Babylon because of their sinfulness or treachery. Uh, sinfulness would be as good of a, uh, a translation there. Treachery is a little bit stronger word, and I, I use it here because they were treacherous 
It's one thing to stumble into sin. It is another thing to plan for it, to joyfully engage in it, and to defy those who would warn you against it. And that's how, of course, Judea, the Judah, the southern kingdom was. And they, under Nebuchadnezzar, were exiled to Babylon. And the first settlers who were in their inheritance in their cities were the Israelites, the priests, the Levites, and the Nethanites. Now we'll see more about this as we go through this, uh, this chapter. But we want to take note, okay, this, the, the people have come back from bondage, from slavery. They've come back from their exile. The Persian king has allowed them to come back. And they begin to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And they begin to reintroduce the things that are important to the people of God. And we, we begin to see parts of the mind of God with regard to his people. When we see uh, some of the things that we're taught here, especially in a chapter like this one. But note here that Judah, the Judeans, have a prominent place here. And then down here in this other list, the priests, the Levites. The Old Testament people of God, their culture was based upon their worship. It was based upon their relationship, a covenant relationship with Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who was Israel. And a covenant that God had made with the people, much of the covenant, God's responsibility to make sure it was kept, and that part would be irrevocable. Part of the covenant, it had to do with people and the land. So when you study the Old Testament, you cannot separate how God will bless Israel without understanding that God had given them a land and it was theirs. And the blessings would be there. If they sinned, the deal was off and they would be carried away. And that happened. Now, by the grace of God, they are brought back, but they are brought back for the purpose of the Christ of God, God himself coming into his own temple um, in the time of the Gospels. Um, so, and, and the, the prophet prophesied that later on in another, in another book, but we won't talk about that just here. Priests and Levites had to teach the people. I think we studied this a little bit last Sunday night, the importance of the priests and Levites teaching the people about who they were as the people of God and who Yahweh was as the God of the people and how they would then perform the rites and rituals that were necessary as God had appointed them to do so and 
the people going by the instructions of the law would enjoy fellowship with God. They would enjoy a personal relationship. They would enjoy forgiveness, redemption. And uh, all of these things were written into their offerings and rituals of sacrifice. So these are the specific people of God who had an understanding of their sinfulness and an understanding of God's willing to forgive and providing atonement and their willingness to pass through the necessary rituals to receive atonement, to receive forgiveness, the people of God. And of course, the priests and the Levites, according to the law, were necessary for that. So we find them here as prominent people in the returning people from exile back to Jerusalem. But in Jerusalem, there dwelt some of the sons of Judah and some of the sons of Benjamin, some of the sons of Ephraim and Manasseh, Uthai, the son of Amchud, the son of Omri, the son of Imri, the son of Bani, the sons of Perez, the son of Judah, and of the Shilonites, Asiah, the firstborn and his sons, and of the sons of Zerah, Jael, and their brethren, 690. Now let's go back to verse 3. The strong presence of Israelites came from Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh, who together make up the tribe of Joseph, if you will, but Joseph had two half-tribes. Uh, and then how it worked out as, as the lineage then was developed with regard uh, to the people living in Jerusalem. And the sons of Benjamin, Salu, the son of Meshulam, the son of Hadovia, the son of Hasinua, and Ibneah, the son of Jeroham, and Ella, the son of Uzi, the son of Mikri, the son of, and Meshulam, the son of Shephatiah, 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 and their brethren according to their generations, 956, all these were prominent men, the heads of fathers' houses by the house of their fathers. Now, all of these things, these genealogies are important. Here's one reason. Well, a couple of reasons. One reason would be that it would be known that those who would serve as priests and Levites had a, had a solid background to do that. But another thing is that as we study, especially Judah, then we have to think forward to the gospel that talks about the decree of Caesar Augustus that went out and he would tax the world and everyone would have to go uh, to the village of, of his family, his home family, and there the taxes would be paid. The genealogy clearly showed that both Joseph and Mary were of the tribe of, of, the, of the descendancy, not only of Judah, but of the house of David. And so they would go to Bethlehem for that, for that uh, 
job of paying their taxes. It, it gives to us a clear path then to, to understand that these prophecies, indeed, one of the main prophecies was that he's the son of David. So he's of the, of the tribe of Judah, he's the son of David. So we look back at this and we think, well, you know, Jerusalem has a lot of strong families here that show their genealogy, but not the least of which is the fact that Judah's descendants were prominent in that time as well. So the genealogy there was clear and the whole thing, all of the genealogies in the Bible, we've looked at a lot of them here in First Chronicles. But all of the genealogies stop with Jesus because that's where it's leading to. There's no other reason for it to go on. Um, I have people in my family who do this ancestry thing. And that's interesting. I'm, they'll find pictures. I'm amazed at the pictures they can find that are so old and the facts that they found in tracing back uh, my forebears, especially on the Owen side. But we come from Wales. And if you know the history of the Celtic people, you don't want to go too far back. You'll be awfully disappointed in great, 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 He was a wizard, you know. He did witchy, witch, witching things and worshiped bad things. So that's in the age of grace, that's meaningless. It all comes to rest on Christ so that we can see how everything comes upon Jesus. And there it stops. The names of, Je the names of Jehovah, for example, I think I've said this before, but all these different suffixes to Yahweh that go through the Old Testament. You know, Yahweh of armies, Yahweh of banners, Yahweh of wisdom, Yahweh of healing. Oh, no, no, no. All of those names come to rest on Yahweh, the Yahweh, the Savior. That's the last name. It's the only name that we're given. Because all of those things that came before are making their way to this one sublime person. Jesus of Nazareth, and it all comes down upon him. So when we study this, this, this is how we can see the importance of all of these things. All right, we keep going. The chronicler wants us to understand that the priesthood was there, that the people, that God was available to the people. And he had a designed way, and we've studied that. We've been studying it in Leviticus. He designed a way because you can't approach God without first dealing with sin. Sin has to be dealt with, individual sin. That was provided for by Yahweh. We've been studying it in the book of Leviticus. The priesthood by the instruction of Yahweh being there to do what was necessary to join Yahweh with his people in fellowship 
But first, there had to be sacrifices. There had to be acknowledgement of sin. Uh, there had to be sacrifice for sin. It had to be a perfect thing. And the Levites, the priests, would teach the people why these things were necessary. How is it, do you think, that John the Baptist had the innate knowledge to proclaim that Christ is the Lamb of God? Of course, the Lamb, a sacrificial animal, this is because the people had understood this thing through generations and generations of sacrifices. An unblemished lamb. Okay, so here we go. The priestly families of Israel. And of the priests, Jediah and Jehoiarib and Jachin and Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Meshulam, the son of Zadok, the son of Merayot, the son of Ahitub, the son of Bet HaElohim, uh, who was ruler of the, well, the house of God, the house of Elohim. And Adiah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Pashur, the son of Malchiah, and Maasai, the son of Adiel, the son of Jazera, the son of Meshulam, the son of Meshilamit, the son of Emir, and their brethren, heads of the house of their fathers, a thousand seven hundred and sixty mighty warriors appointed over the work of the service of Bet Ha'elohim, or the, 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 house, the house of God. So the temple, the house of God, takes a prominent place. Warriors who would fight for the king take a prominent place. The establishment of households, this takes a prominent place. And the establishment of the presence of the priesthood takes a prominent place. So the chronicler goes into another or a deeper area with regard to Levites and the duties of the Levites. And of the Levites, Shemaiah, the son of Hashub, the son of Azrekam, the son of Hashabiah, the sons of Merari, and Bachbachar, Heresh, and Galal, and, of, uh, and, and Mataniah, the son of Micha, the son of Zikri, the son of Asaph, and Obadiah, or Obadiah, or Obad, Obadiah, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Galal, the son of Jadutin, and Berechiah, the son of Asa, the son of Elchanah, who dwelt in the towns of the Nitophathites. Exactly where they are, exactly who they are, and namely, they're, they're the Levites. So we're talking about the general priesthood, and here, uh, the, the duties, those who had duties are seen and they're understood and God knows where they are. Among them also the gatekeepers. Now, gatekeepers would be the forerunners of the temple guard in Jesus' day. The temple guard joined the Romans 
in arresting Jesus Christ. Gethsemane, the, the, when, he was, when he was arrested. Well, this is their, these are their forerunners. The gate sentries, Shalom and Achub, Talmon, Achiman, and their brethren. Shalom was the head. And from here until the king's gate to the east, they are the gate sentries or gatekeepers, gate sentries of the camps of the sons of Levi. So the Levites were given these duties. Shalom, the son of Korah, the son of Ebiasaf, the son of Korah, and his brethren of his father's house, the Korahites, over the work of the service, the guards of the thresholds of the tent, and their fathers over the camp of Yahweh, the guards of the entry. Phineas, the son of Eliezer, was the ruler over them in time past, Yahweh being with him. Zechariah, the son of Meshelemiah, the gate sentry of the entrance of the tent of meeting. They were all the, cho they were all the chosen to be gate sentries in the thresholds, 212. And they were reckoned by genealogy in their villages whom David and Samuel, the seer, the prophet, established permanently. And they and their sons were in charge of the gates of Libet Yahweh, again in the house of Yahweh, of the house of the tent according to watches. At the four corners were the gate sentries, east, west, north, and south. Their brethren in their towns were required to come for seven days from time to time with these. For they were permanently four mighty gate sentries. They are the Levites, and they were in charge of the chambers and the treasuries of Bet Ha'elahim. And, and around Bet Ha'elahim, how's it going? They would lodge, for the watch was incumbent upon them, and they were appointed over the keys and to open the gates every morning. They were respected and very important in the work that they did as gate sentries or gatekeepers. And some of them were in charge of service vessels, for they would bring them in by number and take them out by number, keeping an inventory of them. And some of them were appointed over the vessels and over all the vessels of the sanctuary and over the fine flour and the wine and the oil and the frankincense and the spices. And some of the sons of the priests were the ones who mixed the spices. And that was a very meticulous skill. It was a very important skill. And the spices, today I've read that today the incense, we know what was used to go into the incense but we don't know by what portion and by what measure that's been lost. Uh, it was lost after the destruction uh, of the temple. They've, they've, they can make a guess at it, but they don't really know exactly the measure. Well, these were, these were uh, among the important duties, or this was among the important duties of this particular caste of priests. And Matitya, of the Levites, he was the firstborn of Shalom the Korahite. He was entrusted with the making of the pancakes or the showbread. And some of the sons of the Kehatites of their brethren were in charge of the showbread to prepare every Shabbat, every Sabbath. These are the singers, the heads of, their, of the father's houses of the Levites in the chambers who were exempt for day and night. It is incumbent upon them to engage in the work. There was 
Since the time of David, there was the inclusion of very special and wonderful music. And included in that were the singers. Also included were musical instruments. And you go back and you read the Psalms and you read the subscript of the introductory letter to many of the Psalms. And it'll say how to play this. You play this on this particular group of instruments. And you use this particular kind of beat or or this particular kind of, of chord progression in a major key or a minor key or whatever. So it was, a, it was a designated job of certain priests within the priesthood to be singers and musicians. And what they did, they did as part of the worship of, uh, of Yahweh. So to sum up all of Israel... These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites over their generations, and they were heads, and these dwelt in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem had a priesthood. Everything was official. Now they could worship at the temple. All things were, at least as far as they could be in that time, like they were supposed to be. The chronicler is headed, and he had to start with Adam in the genealogy, but the chronicler is headed to give us the account of David's reign as king. In order to do that, he has to briefly go through the reign of Saul. And so this is how, and he picks, he picks up on this in the next chapter, but here he begins to give us uh, the family of Saul. And in Gibeon dwelt the leader of Gibeon, Jael, whose wife's name was Maacha. And his firstborn was Abdon, and Zur, and Kish, and Baal, and Ner, and Nadab, and Gedor, and Ahio, and Zechariah, and Miklot. And Miklot begat Shemim, and they too, opposite their brethren, dwelt in Jerusalem with their brethren. And Ner begat Kish. Kish begat Saul. Saul begat Jonathan, Malkishua, Abinadab, and Eshbaal. And the son of Jonathan was Merib Baal. And Merib Baal begat Micah, or Micah as we would say it in English today. The sons of Micah, Piton and Melech and Tahriah. And we're going to get to a place here where we'll study how by the grace of God, the lineage of Saul, especially through Jonathan, was preserved. When we went through this before, I alluded to the appearance of how it seemed as though Yahweh would wipe out the family of Saul completely. But it's a story of grace when we think about it, and we'll get there eventually, and we'll talk about how, how it, um, it, it shines forth the grace of God. And Ahaz begot... Ja'ara, and Ja'ara begat Almet and Azmavet, and Zimri, and Zimri begat Moza, Moza begat Baniah, and Raphaya his son, Elasa his son, Azel his son. Azel had six sons, and these were their names, Azrikim, and Bachru, and Ishmael, and Sha'irai, Sha'iria, and Obadiah, and Hanan, and these are the sons of Azel. 
The contrast is being drawn here. And remember in the original Bible, there are no chapter divisions, but we'll stop here. The contrast is being drawn here between Saul and the separation of his family in a sense from the activities of the throne of the kingship, which all fall on David. What we're going to see is how the disobedience of Saul, how his disregard for the covenant completely destroyed any possibility or hope that he had of being the king and his family being the royal family over the nation of Israel and how David is presented as a man after God's heart. Tonight we'll stop there and we'll go to our deacon prayer time.